I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 112, my review of The Man in the High Castle, season three, which just went up a few days ago on Amazon Prime Video, and of course, I watched it right away. Uh, my wife, Tina, did too. Uh, we, we both loved it. I have to say, I think this is actually the best of the three seasons so far. And uh, that's high praise indeed, if you remember, as I said in my reviews of the earlier episodes, those were wonderful too. And by the way, on my lightonlightthrough.com webpage, you'll find links to all those earlier reviews. But let's get right down to these reviews. I just want to mention, as I always do when I review something here on Light On, Light Through, which I've in the past few days already reviewed on my paullevinson.net blog, I'm going to read and extrapolate uh, and innovate from what I wrote on my blog. And I'm going to read those in order. So it will be the same as if, as if I've just seen the episode and uh, you'll uh, get my thoughts on that. In other words, as I review this season, I won't know in each review what happens at the end. So here we go. I reviewed episode 3.1 by itself. I entitled my review, Real People in Alternate History. And I have to say, I did that review literally the day that uh, Susan Collins, the Republican senator from uh, the state of Maine here in the United States, announced that she was going to vote yes for Brent Kavanaugh, who was nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in fact, she did the next day. So I began my review of episode 3.1 of The Man in the High Castle by uh, saying that with the kick in the gut news of the all but certain confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court today, I only managed to see the first episode of the third season of the brilliant Man in the High Castle uh, on Amazon Prime. It's alternate history of the Nazis and Japanese winning the Second World War was much more enjoyable than the real news in our reality. So here is my review of that first episode with more to come as I see the rest of this third season over the weekend. Let me first say I especially like the mix of real people from our own reality into the American Reich in 1962. J. Edgar Hoover, unsurprisingly, fits right into Nazi New York, collecting all kinds of scheisse for the Reich. And if he's anything like our J. Edgar, he's collecting this stuff for himself as well to use to maintain his power. George Lincoln Rockwell, founder of the American Nazi Party in our reality, is the Reich Marshal of North America in Man in the High Castle. 
he and Edgar will no doubt cause Smith a lot of trouble, even with his promoted status as Ubergruppenführer and vice versa. That is, I'm sure Smith will cause Rockwell and J. Edgar plenty of grief as well. Lenny Riefenstahl, the brilliant Nazi filmmaker she made in our reality, Triumph of the Will in the Olympiad. She lived to be over 100 years old in our reality, and she gets a shout-out and a put-down as being more than 60 years old in this episode by a dazzling young blonde Nazi filmmaker who has some talent with the camera herself. And Elvis's can't help falling in love. Cause I can't help falling in love with you. Well, that gets sung in the neutral zone by a guy who reminded me a little bit of Buddy Holly, who died in our reality in 1959, but he probably isn't. But the first episode comes packed with lots of things that make alternate reality storytelling so much fun. And speaking of alternate realities, there's also a hint that they'll play a much bigger role literally interacting with and bumping into one another in this season than they did in the first two seasons with Juliana talking to her sister about the different realities they each inhabited one of which, as we know, had the sister dying. The narrative is now moving well beyond Philip K. Dick's novel, but it's still true to its intentions, and I'll be back here soon with more. Well, I returned the next day and reviewed Man in the High Castle, two episodes, 3.2 and 3.3, and I called that review Alternate Realities, Frederick Brown, and Rockwells, with an S. And I began by noting that The Man in the High Castle, episodes 3.2 to 3, go full bore into alternate realities, including Dr. Mengele in New York schooling a shock Smith about these alternate realities, with Smith even remarking that all of this sounds like something out of, quote, Frederick Brown. Now, he was a real science fiction writer in our reality, known mostly for his humorous science fiction stories, but author of the 1949 novel, What Mad Universe, which had plenty of humor, but also alternate realities. The mention of Brown, by the way, continues weaving elements from our reality into the alternate history of the Nazis and Japanese winning the Second World War, that is, the central story of the man in the high castle, with elements of our reality seeping through. Now, Smith, later watching one of the movie clips, which show our reality, that is, the reality in which we, America, and our allies won the Second World War, but in one of these movie clips, Smith sees his son Thomas alive and well, which gives Smith a far deeper than professional stake in getting into or to the bottom of these alternate realities. 
Meanwhile, out west in Japanese California, the access to alternate realities is more mystical than scientific as they are in the Nazi East Coast of America. This mysticism, by the way, is more consistent with Philip K. Dick's approach, but I like the way it's expanded to laboratory science in this third season of the television series. Juliana's sister, Trudy, the one who wasn't killed in her reality, but was in ours, that is the prime point of view reality of this series, not ours in which we off-screen won the war. But Trudy, who is now alive and back in our reality with Juliana, is discovered by Kido, the Japanese inspector who happened to kill her in what we saw a few seasons ago. I know, this is complicated, but very interesting, and it creates an unacceptable situation because although Tagomi gets Trudy and Juliana freed, they need to do something about the sister giving Kido's understandable desire now to find out what's going on. That is, seeing someone that he personally killed alive and well. Fortunately, I, I Ching is just the thing to send her back, Trudy, that is, to her reality in a flash. So we have the alternate realities on center stage now, but the backdrops are excellent too. The Japanese admiral realizes that the Japanese could benefit from working with Americans rather than killing them in the Japanese attempt to fend off the Nazis. Kido is instructed to go, quote, lightly, unquote, in his enforcement, quote, persuasion, unquote, rather than, quote, punishment, unquote, and to use punishment only when needed. This should make for a more interesting storyline than just lining up captured Americans and shooting them, and it's consistent with the Japanese being a little more humane than the Nazis in this alternate history in which they both conquered America and split it up. And last, for now, before I get back to Prime to watch more episodes, I'm liking Robert's character more this season also. He gets off a good line talking about the Rockwells, Norman the painter, and George Lincoln, the Reich Marshal of North America, underlining the ubiquitous mixing of realities in this compelling third season. And I'll be back soon with more review. And in fact, I was later that same day with a review of The Man in the High Castle 3.4 to 3.6, which I entitled, quote, "'Tis Death That's Dead," unquote. And you'll see why I put that in quotes. The Man in the High Castle episodes 3.4 to 3.6 contain the biggest stunner of the series. I mean the entire series. It's so unexpected and it's handled so well that I won't say what it is on the slim chance that you are listening to this and haven't yet seen these three episodes. I will offer, however, this proviso. When you're dealing with intersection alternate realities, as the man in the high castle is most surely doing this season, anything that happens in our point of view reality can be reversed or undone, or at very least deprived of its impact, by the same character or characters from another reality popping back into ours, or arriving here by whatever means. 
Or, as the poet Shelley wrote about Keats in our reality back in the 19th century, after Keats died, Shelley, in his beautiful poem, wrote, "'Tis death that's dead, not he." I always love that line. And this potential for undoing or reversing animates everything and everyone in the multiverse that this season of The Man in the High Castle has become. All that remains in question is which things or people. Meanwhile, the action in our reality, that is, the point of view alternate reality in which the Japanese won and the Nazis won the Second World War, that remains taut and excellent. I mentioned in an earlier review that the ARBI, American Reich Bureau of Investigation, Director J. Edgar Hoover would always act in his own best interest, and that's just what he does in these episodes, as Smith, always one step ahead of the game, uses Edgar to turn the tables. The consequent killing of George Lincoln Rockwell. Hey, I never said there'd be no spoilers at all in these reviews. Is a satisfying touch since Rockwell was in fact murdered in our off-screen reality in which we won the war. And speaking of deft details, we also learn that in this alternate history, John Wayne left the screen to fight with the Americans, of course, and lost his life in the Battle of Dayton. That's a battle that's cited, I think, by Robert. And we also learn that Joe DiMaggio plays for the New York Valkyries. That's pretty clever. Anyway, I hope they beat Boston, whatever their name, in this alternate history. Smith continues to be a riveting character, and I have to say brilliantly played by Rufus Sewell. All the parts are well acted, but I would also say that William Forsyth Sig Heiling J. Edgar also warrants special kudos. And now we're tasked to wondering what he'll do, that is what Smith will do about his wife. You know, I just can't see him killing his wife. As Himmler told Smith, he would have to do if she displayed any more weakness. But you can never be 100% sure about these things in this wonderful, in terms of entertaining and harrowing in an entertaining way, story. And the final scene in episode 3.6 was one of the most effective and iconic of the series. Speaking of entertaining and harrowing, Smith gets a ticker tape parade, Nazi style, in New York to mark his promotion. But there's hope for the world because that's intercut with Frank Frink's bar mitzvah. Yeah, he's alive, back in Denver in the neutral zone. That says it all about the power of resilience and the power of freedom in the face of overwhelming power, in this case, Nazi power. By the way, not metaphoric Nazi power, as some might say about our present government, but in, in the case of the man in the high castle, real Nazi power. And I'll be back here soon after I've seen the concluding four episodes of this great season. And in fact, I was, the next day, back 
with my review of the last four episodes of The Man in the High Castle Season 3. Those would be episodes 3.7 to 10, and I entitled that review The Metaphysics of Alternate Realities. And I noted that The Man in the High Castle saved its crucial metaphysical reveal until nearly the last scene of the last episode where Abinsen, the actual Man in the High Castle, explains to Smith that you can travel to an alternate reality only if you are no longer alive in that alternate world. So this means Smith can bring back his son Thomas to his, our world, in which again the Nazis and Japanese won the Second World War. Juliana can escape our reality to the one in which she saw herself killed. And she presumably does exactly that also near the end of this episode. Togomi wasn't alive in our off-screen reality, which he visited, in which we won the war, but it was great seeing him beat that Hitler youth. And by the way, I have to say, a fine performance throughout as Togomi by Karihiroyuki Tagawa. Tagawa. I probably pronounced that completely wrong, but you get the point. Joe can come back to our world in which Juliana killed him. I hardly missed him in the last four episodes and all kinds of similar possibilities. But precluded in this metaphysics is Himmler's fevered dream of Nazis marching into all alternate realities via Mengele's transport device, which Himmler is not likely to get too upset about if he doesn't survive the surgery. I hope he doesn't. And good for Wyatt Liam for shooting him. Maybe Joseph Goebbels will succeed him. He was smarter anyway. He had a Ph.D. from the University of Heidelberg and a little less of a ranting lunatic, but just as evil. Now, as I said in my previous review, however, the movement of people through alternate realities does deprive death of its meaning. So if Himmler dies, he can still come back to our point of view reality as could Hitler himself, for that matter, but so could Frank. In other words, the portals are equal opportunity conveyors of people who are bad and good. Now, this third season of The Man in the High Castle was one good piece of work, which I would say lifts the overall season to the single best science fiction I've ever seen on television. Yep, uh, that's definitely the way I feel. I've seen a lot of great science fiction on television over the years, but The Man in the High Castle is in a class by itself. And again, the iconic scene, another iconic scene of the Statue of Liberty going down in this last episode typifies the pull-no-punches cinematography of the entire series. And again, the interjection of people from our real history, such as J. Edgar Hoover, especially in the New York story, was just outstanding, as I noted earlier. Because, let's face it, Hoover, in our reality, had a lot of Nazi tendencies, and so he fits right in with this alternate history. Hey, maybe we'll see Fred Trump in 1962 Nazi New York next season. Well, I'll be watching and reviewing it for sure. The Light on Light Through podcast. 
Hey, I hope you enjoyed that review of The Man in the High Castle Season 3, and I'll be back here soon with another podcast, either a review or who knows what, but definitely sooner rather than later. In the meantime, enjoy. Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson still code about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. 